0: Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So if you remember, or if you were here last week, or if you uh, listened to the sermon online, uh, we are doing a small series on the different roles within the household of God. And one of the passages that we looked at is 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. And I mentioned last week that I really, really like when there is a letter or a book in the Bible where the author explicitly states the purpose of the letter or the book. And 1 Timothy is one of those. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word, this is what... Uh, This is what Paul tells Timothy. This is the reason why he wrote this letter to Timothy. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So here Paul is telling Timothy, the reason why I'm writing this letter is because I want to go see you really soon. But in the meantime, I want to write these instructions about how the church should operate about how one ought to behave in the church, which is the household of God. Now, if you think about it, there are a lot of different ways that people have organized or uh, done church throughout history, right? I mean, we have tons of different denominations. We have Baptists, Presbyterians, Episcop- uh, uh yeah, you know, everything, all sorts of different denominations. Because there are, among other things, there are different ways in which people... Um, practice or do church, but I think that many of us would, or some of us would probably be surprised to think about the fact that there is actually an, at least an entire letter in the Bible, an entire book in the Bible devoted to instructions on one, on, on how one ought to behave in church in the household of God. Also last week, we talked about the fact that the church is a household right there are many analogies for the church like a body or a building but one of the analogies that doesn't get talked about often enough i believe is that the church is the household of god and just like in any household there are different members within the household so for example there's uh, in, in in a normal household or especially in a uh, greco-roman household there was a father a mother there were children there were widows there were slaves in the household and so you know that consisted or that that made up a household, and in the same way, the church, the household of God, has different roles. And so, in this mini-series, we're talking about different roles within the household, and the, last week, we talked about the, the role of the elders, or the leaders, the overseers of the church. This week, we're going to talk about the role of the deacons, and then next week, uh, we will talk about the role of the congregation, the role of the, of the members of the church. Um, now, some of you might wonder, okay, but why are we talking about this? Like, what is the whole point of this thing? Why is this important? Well, let me give you a few reasons why I think that this is important. Um, I believe studying this is important because we want to, um, well, this is important because God gave specific instructions regarding his church. And if God said something, if God left us certain information, then we want to make sure that we are not ignoring that information that God gives us, that God gave us. If God left instructions on how one ought to behave in church and the household of God, well, we better listen to what God has to say about those things, right? So I think, I mean, that goes without saying, if it's in the Bible, we should be paying attention to it. So we, we should, um, because we want to obey God in everything. This is also important because I believe that if we align our church practices to the instructions given by God in the Bible, we will be more effective in fulfilling the mission that God has given to his church, which is to be his witnesses and to make disciples of all nations. In other words, God has given us a mission, right? To go and make disciples, but he didn't say, go and do it however you want. He gave specific instructions and and in 1st Timothy, we have specific instructions and and uh, throughout the New Testament, we have specific instructions on how a church should operate. And therefore, we believe that if we follow the way that he established for us to do church, we will be more effective. If we do not listen to his instructions, you know, he can work in spite of us, but we believe that he left those instructions for a reason. Um, another reason why this is important, let's see, I lost my place here, right? So more specifically, uh, talking about the topic of deacons, it is important, I believe because the office of deacon, different from the office of elder, is actually a more accessible office than the office of elder. What do I mean? Well, to be qualified to be an elder, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit more specific. It's someone who has to be able to teach. It's someone who meets all of the qualifications of First Timothy chapter 3. Uh, it is someone who is a man. We talked about it last week, how the office of elder is reserved for men. Uh, it is a position of authority it is a position that others are called to submit to the position of an elder but the office of de- of yeah of deacon is actually more accessible now i am not saying that it is that it should be taken more lightly i am not saying that there are no spiritual qualifications for this office absolutely there are a lot of spiritual qualifications for the office of deacon but it is an office that it is more easily Accessible. It is an office that, as we are going to argue in a little bit, I believe it's open to women as well, not just to men. Um, and it is an office that does not require being able to teach. So, you know, I, I believe that this is important for us because my hope or one of my hopes in preaching through this series and especially today's sermon is that maybe God would stir some of you and, and put it in your heart the, the, um, the desire, the willingness of wanting to serve God and his church as a deacon or as a deaconess. Uh, and, you know, I hope that as we study this, uh, God will lead you in that direction. But even then, even if God doesn't say, you know, I'm calling you to be appointed as a deacon, which, by the way, if you come to us and say, I want to become a deacon— I want you to know it's not an automatic process and we're saying, oh yes, welcome to the team. No, there is a process. There are biblical qualifications. But even if God is not calling you to be, uh, uh, to have the office of a deacon, I do want us all to know that God has called every single one of us to be a deacon because the word deacon at its very, very root, at its most, most basic uh, uh, sense the word deacon means servant. The word someone who is a deacon is a servant. In fact, Jesus is the ultimate servant. In that passage that I quoted last week and that I'm going to quote again this week, when the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest among them, Jesus says, If anyone wants to be the greatest, uh, if anyone wants to be great, he has to become the deacon of all, the servant of all. And then when he's talking about himself, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be deaconed, served, but to deacon, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So every single one of us is ultimately called to be a deacon in the sense that we are called to be servants, just as our Lord Jesus was and is a servant. All right, so let's pray and then we're going to dig a little bit deeper into it. God, we thank you for this topic that we have before us today, Lord. Thank you for the office of deacon, even though this is an office that is often misunderstood and and with good reason, because there's not a lot of information about it as, as there is about elders, Lord. But I pray that you give us wisdom, that you guide us. I pray that you stir our hearts, Lord, that you would remind us that you have called us to be servants of all, to be deacons. But I, I do pray, Lord, that in your sovereignty, if, if you have already appointed one or two or several people here in the church, Lord, that you want to serve more specifically in the office of deacon, that you would stir their hearts, Lord. I pray that your word would be the one teaching us today, Lord, and that you would direct my words and that they would go in line with what you have taught us in Jesus' name. We pray, Amen. So, in preparation for this book, I'm sorry. In preparation for this sermon, I've been reading a book called "Deacons," very creative title. And one, I mean, there were many things that, that I really enjoyed about this book. There, there were many things that I'm that I'm actually you know heavily basing my, my sermon on this book. But um, I want to read a little excerpt from this book because I found it very interesting. Uh, this is how he opens the book, pretty much. He says, The Nazis, it turns out, did not like deacons. Now, that's, that's an interesting uh, opening line, right? The Nazis, it turns out, did not like deacons. After the Netherlands fell to Germany in 1940, deacons in the Dutch Reformed Church rose up to care for the politically oppressed, supplying food and providing secret refuge. Realizing what was happening, the Germans decreed that the office of deacon should be eliminated. Responding in a general synod on July 17, 1941, the Dutch believers resolved, quote, whoever touches the diaconate interferes with what Christ has ordained as the task of the church. Whoever lays hands on diaconia lays hands on worship. End of quote. The Germans backed down. So, you know, I found that very interesting that even the Nazis were opposed to the office of deacon because of how tangible the office of deacon was. So, just as we, um, you know, the office of, of deacon is extremely essential to the health of the church. To continue to quote the author of this book, his name is Matt i uh, I'm pretty sure this is misspelled. But for now, let's just call him Matt, Matt S. But uh, if you want his, his uh, full name, I'll, I'll give it to you later. But um, to continue to quote him, this is what he says, Deacons, rightly understood and deployed, are an irre- irreplaceable gift to Christ's church. They are model servants who excel in being attentive and responsive to tangible needs in the life of the church. In what ways do they serve? By assisting the elders, guarding the ministry of the word, organizing service, caring for the needy, preserving unity, mobilizing ministry, and more. So the office of deacon is extremely important. I believe that we as a church would be greatly helped and we would be way more effective number one if we had deacons right now i don't know if you've noticed but we currently don't have any uh officially appointed deacons doug and barb biddle were uh were deacons and we were extremely grateful for them but then um god called them to to oregon uh and so right now we do not have deacons we are in the works of uh wanting to appoint uh, at least one person as a deacon but um We really believe that God loves deacons and he wants us to have deacons. Um, So before we dig more full on into the passages and all of that, I do want to do something similar to what I did last week, which is I want to clear the desk again and just kind of tackle a couple of technical issues on deacons. Number one, there's not a lot of information about deacons. So the Bible is loaded. The New Testament is loaded with instructions for the elders and qualifications for the elders and the responsibilities of the elders, the overseers, the leaders of the church. But the Bible does not have as much information regarding the office of deacons, at least not as much explicit information. In fact, there are only two passages in Scripture that explicitly uh, in, in, you know without any question address the office of deacons one of them is first timothy 3 uh, where paul talks about the qualifications for the deacons and the other one is the uh, the deacons are only mentioned in passing in philippians 1 verse 1 where paul is greeting the church of philippi and he greets all the saints of, of philippi along with the elders and the deacons so right there we have the two passages the only two passages in scripture that explicitly address the office of deacon. Now, there are many other mentions in the Bible uh, of the word deacon because like I explained earlier, the word deacon is actually the, the Greek generic word for someone who is a servant uh, the, in, in the verb form is, is to serve. So obviously the Bible has tons of mentions of, of the word deacon, but the only two instances in which it is actually, you know, without any any question without any any uh, um, ambiguity referring to the office of deacon is those two verses or those two passages that I just uh, quoted. Now, there is another passage in scripture that even though it does not mention the office of deacon uh, or, or even the word deacon in the noun form, it does mention the, the verb to serve. In this passage, which is Acts 6, 1 through 7, has been used throughout the history of the church from very from very early on to identify the deacons to to elaborate a little bit more on what the deacons are supposed to be and so of course we're going to touch on that passage in a little bit, but I just wanted to put that out there that there's not as much information on deacons as there is on um, on elders on on overseers now the other thing that I wanted to tackle the other technical issue is that we believe that women may be deaconesses. So last week we mentioned that if you were here, and if not, I, I really encourage you to listen to last week's sermon. last week we mentioned that the Bible makes it clear that women are not allowed to be elders, or that the office of elder is reserved for men. But there is enough evidence in the Bible to conclude that women are allowed to be deacons. Now this is not a black- and white issue. There are a lot of churches that believe that the office of deacon is also reserved only for men, and then there are a lot of churches that believe that the office of deacon is open to women as well. So we want to exercise humility here, but we do believe, and our, our church's official uh, stance on this is that the office of deacon is open to women. Now, I do want to, t- I want to touch on the some of the reasons, uh, but again, we cannot go into a lot of detail, but... Basically, the reasons, but probably the main one is found in the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3, um, especially in verse 11. So if you go to 1 Timothy 3, verse uh, 11, Paul is uh, quoting the the qualifications for deacons. So actually, we start in in verse 8. It says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons. If they prove themselves blameless. Now, verse 11, depending on what translation of the Bible you have, this is what verse 11 says, at least here in the ESV. It says their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober minded, faithful in all things. Now, What is the issue here with verse 11? Well, verse 11, literally in the Greek does not say their wives. In Greek, it literally says women or the women. So, you know, if we read it uh, in those terms, it says the women likewise must be dignified. The Greek is lacking any, um, any possessive adjective. In other words, the word there is not there in the Greek. And the word wife is not there in the Greek. Now, the Greek word for woman does, you know, it could also be translated as wife. But um, basically the argument is here Paul is not talking about the wives of the deacons because he he will talk about the wives of the deacons in uh, in verse 12 or at least indirectly, right? He says, "Let let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. But here it seems like Paul is giving some specific instructions for the women who are deacons or who are deaconesses. So that's one of the arguments, again, in a very uh, small nutshell. Um, Another one of the arguments is that uh, Phoebe in Romans chapter 16 is introduced by Paul as a deacon of the church of, and I cannot remember what church he says, Um, In Romans 16, 1, Paul says, I commend to you, our sister, Phoebe, a servant or a deacon. Remember the word word deacon means servant. A deacon or servant of the church at Sancria. Now, the argument goes that here Paul is addressing Her as a deacon of a specific church. The fact that he is mentioning a specific church probably means that she holds the office of a deacon. Uh, Another argument is that when he uses the word deacon, he uses it in the in the masculine form. In other words, uh, presenting that word not as a a description of Phoebe, like he's not saying that Phoebe is is a woman who serves, but rather is a woman who holds the office of deacon. So that's another argument in a very small nutshell as well. And then another argument is that throughout church history, uh, many women have been appointed as deacons. Throughout church history, in many different traditions, in the Reformed tradition, uh, uh, people like um, uh, people like John Calvin, people like, uh, why is his name escaping me, uh, Charles Spurgeon, and many other uh, people throughout church history have accepted women as deacons. Now, these are the same people that have throughout the history of the church said women are not allowed to be elders. However, women are allowed to be deacons. So again, that is just a very um, uh, summarized version of this technical difficulty. But I do want to emphasize that um, this is an issue that, you know, Some people believe women can be deacons and some people believe women cannot be deacons. But here at Kaleo, we do believe that that there's enough evidence in scripture to open the office for women. So after that, you know, after that uh, explanation, I do want us to dig a little bit more into what is a deacon and what does a deacon do? So, Basically, the first definition that I have here, the first uh, title that I would use is a deacon is a model servant. A deacon is a model servant. So if you go to Acts chapter 6, I I want us to read this uh, instance. And remember, this is one of the passages where the word deacon as a noun is actually not mentioned, but the, the word deacon as a verb, to deacon, to serve, is mentioned multiple times. And so throughout church history, this passage has been taken as the, the prehistory of the office of deacon. So Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, this is what Luke writes. Now, in these days, actually, sorry, let go one verse back, chapter 5, verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So we see that the church is going really well. The preaching of the gospel is advancing. And then we are presented with a problem in chapter six. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12, that is the 12 apostles, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So in this passage, we see exemplified that the deacons are model servants. Now, if you think about it, in many churches, again, because there's not a lot of information about the office of deacons. In many churches, there are different perspectives on on deacons, right? There are some churches where deacons are pretty much the ones who run the whole church, right? So these churches usually will have a hired pastor, and then they will have a board of deacons where the deacons are the ones running the whole church. I believe that this is wrong. This is not biblical. But then on the other extreme, there are churches where deacons are pretty much a glorified janitor or a glorified handyman, right? Someone who, who is uh, really good at fixing things or someone who is really good at mowing the lawn or whatever. They say, okay, you're going to be the deacon of grounds and you're going to be the deacon of this and deacon of that. Now, I'm not saying that deacons cannot do those things, but I believe that the office of deacon is more than just that. It's more than just someone that is serving. All of us are called to serve, but the office of deacon is more than uh only this service. So, notice the notice the qualifications that these men had to have in order to serve the tables. It says In verse three, therefore brothers pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. So these men were supposed to be men of good repute. Everyone should know them and say, yes, they have good reputation. They are full of the spirit. The the work of the spirit is evident in their lives and they are also full of wisdom, right? Because they needed to have these qualities because they were about to address a very practical need of the church. But not only that, notice that there is a potential of division here, right? One, one commentator, uh, John Stott, whom, whom I relied heavily on uh, when we were going through the book of Acts, mentions that Satan had been attacking the, 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 the infant church in different ways. First, he decided to attack the church by sending persecution— and he did not succeed because when, when, God, sorry, when Satan sent the persecution, the gospel only continued to spread. The message of the gospel went from Jerusalem and it actually went to the rest of the world. So he failed at that attempt. Then he tried to attack the, the newborn church by sending uh, deceit. And so that's when we see that Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to, to the apostles. They try to lie to the Holy Spirit. But once that is dealt with, again, the church continues to grow. The word continues to advance. And so this seems to be uh, Satan's uh, last ditch effort and says, okay, well, if I cannot stop the church by sending persecution, if I cannot stop the church by sending deceit, then I'm going to cede uh, division within the church. And so notice this was a very risky situation within the church. I read verse 42 of verse five of, of chapter 5. To to emphasize this, the gospel was progressing, the word was advancing, the the message was being proclaimed, and this situation between the Hellenistic and the Hebrew uh, uh, people was threatening to divide the church and possibly stop or hinder the advance of the gospel. And so these uh, deacons, these men, they needed to have wisdom because they were entering into a possibly heated situation where there was ethnic division within the church where there was probably some jealousy going on where there could be a lot of issues and so they needed to be filled with the spirit they needed to be full of wisdom to address this issue so deacons in a sense are agents of unity within the church they see the practical needs of the church they see the physical needs of the church and they act on it they are deputized by the elders They are deputized by the leaders of the church and and really appointed by the church to come meet these needs in order to, um, to promote unity within the church and they also promote the advance of the gospel. Think of it. What would have happened if these men were not appointed for serving the tables? Well, it could have gone two ways. The apostles would have had to do this work of serving the tables and the, word, the preaching of the word of God would have been neglected and the preaching of the word of God and the advance of the gospel would have been uh, uh, stopped or, or hindered. Or say the apostles say, no, we're not going to worry about this. We're going to continue preaching the gospel. Well, the church would have been left with angry people, both on the Hebrew side and on the Hellenistic side. So these deacons are model servants. Now, we're going to do the same thing that we did last week in that I am not going to, we are not going to expound on the qualifications for deacons, but I do want to read them. And I do want you, each one of you, each one of us to take these to heart, to to study these on our own. And if God is steering your heart right now, and, and, and maybe, uh, uh, encouraging you or, or steering you to look into becoming a deacon. Or, for example, we've talked about uh, Chris being in, in uh, training for becoming a deacon. I do want us to look at these qualifications, and, and I ask you to spend some time looking at these qualifications and either, you know, talk to Chris, talk to me, talk to, to, to us in this regard. Um, so First Timothy chapter 3, Verse, starting in verse 8. These are the qualifications for deacons. These qualifications come immediately after the qualifications for elders. So again, we see that this is an office. It's not just a, uh, someone who is a mere servant, but it's someone who holds an office within the church. Verse 8 says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. The women, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So just think about these qualifications and, and, and this is going back to the point that I made that a deacon is a model servant. It is interesting that these qualifications are so spiritual in nature. They are about one person's character right the qualifications are not he must know his way around home depot really well or he must be a a uh, excel guru or a finances guru or etc no the qualifications are about the deacon's heart the deacon's character because the office that a deacon holds is an office of ministering to people they are ministering to the to the physical needs of people but uh, um Inevitably, when they are meeting with people, when they are visiting the sick, when they are helping people with their finances, when they are overseeing the, uh, the, 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 the charitable ministry of the church, they will be in contact with people. They will be meeting with people and therefore they need to have these spiritual qualifications. They need to be model servants. Number two, deacons are ministers of mercy. Throughout church history, the office of deacon has been primarily about caring for the needy, for the poor, for the suffering, for the sick. Throughout the history of the church, this is the main thing that deacons did throughout the history of the church. That was what they were known for during uh, plagues or epidemics. It was the deacons who were the ones to care for the sick. It was the deacons who actually died alongside with the sick because sometimes they would get sick themselves but that's how devoted they were to helping the sick to helping the needy they were the ones to enroll and to care for the widows of the church in first timothy paul actually gives very specific instructions about giving or supporting the widows of the church Um, timothy keller who is a former pastor in a, a presbyterian church in manhattan he writes what does a deacon do? He ministers in the name of Jesus among lonely, sick, elderly, orphaned, widowed, dying, poor, and deprived people. Matt Smethers, the, guy, the, guy that, uh, the book that I was telling you, he also notes, and he says, Diac- Diaconal work is more than mercy ministry, but it is not less. So a deacon is a minister of mercy. Not that the elders are beyond that work, not that the elders are not supposed to do that work, but the elders' primary calling is to lead the church, as we saw last Sunday. Their primary calling is to teach the church, to shepherd the flock. And so even though the elders are not equal with the apostles, in Acts 6, we do have some some sort of a model in which the apostles say, we cannot neglect the teaching of the word. We cannot neglect praying in order to serve tables. There's actually a wordplay there. They say we cannot um, neglect the uh, prayers and the service, the, the diaconate of the word by serving tables. And so there is a, there's a right division there where there are different roles within the church, the household of God. And that takes us to, to the next point, in which is that deacons are assistants to the elders. So again, there are many churches where the deacons are seen as like this second executive branch of the church, you know, just kind of thinking more like in terms of government where we say, okay, so our elders need checks and balances. So let's come up with a with a board of deacons and let the deacons hold the elders accountable. But again, that's not what the Bible teaches. Not that the elders shouldn't have accountability, right? The elders are ultimately accountable to God and the elders also should be responsible and accountable to the church. And we, we talked about that last week as well. Uh, but the deacons are not necessarily on, on par with the elders in terms of authority. The Bible never calls any believer to submit themselves to the deacons of the church. The Bible does call every, uh, all believers to submit to the elders of the church, to obey the elders of the church, but it does not call the church to submit to the deacons of the church. Um, Again, going back to Acts 6, it provides a model for this, and and we've already mentioned it, so I I just want to mention in passing. There was a problem in the church. The apostles wanted to focus on preaching the word, wanted to fulfill their God-given role of preaching the word, and therefore they deputized a group of men, a group of deacons, to do this other work that was not any less important that it was also part of the ministry, but it was not the role that God had given them. Now, this results when when a work is functioning. Sorry, when a church is functioning properly, when the deacons are serving as serving as agents of mercy, when the deacons are serving as assistants to the elders, this results in the progress of the gospel. This is what happens in Acts 6. Notice how this passage, this issue, after they appoint these seven men, notice how the story ends, or at least that little section. In verse 6, it says, These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the whole, I'm sorry, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what happened when the church appointed these men to serve? Tables. The word of God continued to increase. The apostles were freed up to do what God had called them to do. And therefore, the kingdom of God continued to advance. And so I believe that any church that does not have deacons is actually missing out. Any church that doesn't have deacons and is not using deacons properly is a church that is actually not being as effective as it could be. Because a lot of the times the elders have to be focused on those things instead of focusing on preaching the word of God. Now, finally, the the last point here is deacons represent Jesus because Jesus is the chief of deacons when we were studying the book of the book of acts this was a while ago so i do not expect you to remember exactly everything that i said but um one of the things that we mentioned is that the book of acts is the continuation of jesus's ministry right it's not that when jesus ascended into heaven he finished his ministry and then something new started but rather when jesus ascended into heaven He sent his Holy Spirit to the disciples, to the church, and the church continued the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is working here on earth through his church. Jesus is shepherding his people and he is uh, caring for his people and teaching his people through the office of elder. And Jesus is serving his people through the office of deacon. Jesus is the deacon per excellence. De- uh, Jesus is the ultimate servant. Remember uh, the, the passage that I've, that I've been quoting when the disciples are arguing and Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus is the ultimate one who came to serve. If you, uh, if you remember Isaiah 52 and 53, where Jesus is described as the servant of the Lord. Remember in John chapter 13. In fact, let's go there. I do want to read a couple of verses from John 13. This is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed. And look at what Jesus did. John 13 verse 1. uh, We read, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, Tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And so there's a there's a little interaction between him and Peter where Peter doesn't want him to, to wash his feet. And then, you know, eventually he he lets him. And in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant or a deacon is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So Jesus himself, the, the Lord, the master of the universe, Jesus himself, who is God, he himself washed the disciples' feet. He himself served the disciples. Think about it. He even washed Judas's feet. Knowing that he was going to betray him, he even washed Judas's feet. So, like I said at the beginning of this message, all of us are ultimately called to be deacons, to be servants. All of us are ultimately called to imitate Jesus in serving. But especially you, if you are maybe preparing for the office of deacon, or if, if again, if God is steering that in your heart, know that this is one of the highest honors that you could have and not because of holding an office in church but it is a great honor because you can be imitating your master you can be imitating the lord jesus in becoming the servant of all and i want to finish by reading philippians chapter 2 so please turn with me to philippians chapter 2 Here Paul is uh, encouraging the Philippian believers to to be humble to one another, to, um, to serve one another. And this is the example that he gives him. He gives him the example of Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 1, he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, of a deacon, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Jesus himself though he was with God enjoying all of the glories of heaven He became a deacon for us. He became a servant and he served us to the point of dying on the cross to save us from our sins. That is the ultimate act of service, right? Is giving your life for someone else. And that's what Jesus did for us. And so each one of us should serve one another. Each one of us should be willing to give even our lives for one another because of Jesus who gave his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he became a servant. There is no other religion in the world that says that God became a servant. We thank you, Lord, that you set that example for us. You washed your disciples' feet. And that is only one of the many things you did in in service for this world. Lord, I pray that you give us an attitude of service. I pray that you stir in each one of us a desire to serve others, Lord, that we would be known as a church of servants. And God, we do pray that you provide deacons for our church, Lord. We recognize that we could fulfill your mission more effectively, Lord, if we had, uh, if we had deacons, Lord, if we, if we had people formally appointed to be deacons. And Lord, I, I thank you though for, for everyone who is currently serving. I, I am so grateful, Lord, that we have many people here that even though they're not officially appointed as deacons, they are serving your church, Lord. And I'm greatly thankful for that. And we are extremely thankful for your son, Jesus, for his work of salvation for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.